How's it going folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew and this is Christian Coffee Time. Where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back again for another great study. So working our way through the book of Romans. And we are up to chapter 8. Alright, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And uh, this book it's got an awful lot of uh, different points that uh, Paul makes through here. But overall, uh, the theme of chapter 8, as we're going to be seeing, is eternal security. We're going to be discussing this uh, according to Romans chapter 8, how this works and what the Bible actually says. There's an awful lot of people out there who try to use uh, uh, the book of Romans as... Uh, as a means of reinforcing law keeping and commandment keeping and not quite understanding the whole point about justification by faith justification by hope as you see but from our previous study on romans chapter 4 how without the works without works we are justified by faith without works and it's not about our doing or not doing it's about our belief on the lord jesus christ it's about the grace of Christ, about the faith of Christ, and it's about Christ alone, and it has nothing to do with us. And as we saw by our study on Romans chapter 6 and 7, we see it's virtually not possible to even seek to justify ourselves because there's no goodness in us. We have no righteousness. It's not by our ability. It's not by anything of us. And as as we see by Romans 7, as our bodies are corrupted by sin and our sin opposes us. And uh, we see in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So what makes you think then that you could physically do things to justify yourself if that which is doing the doing <laughs> is corrupted by sin? So we see the illogical reasoning of the works-based salvationists and the pharisaical legalists. As Jesus says, it's not what enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. So we want to make sure that the heart, uh, uh, we see the belief of the heart on um, the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9 to 10, is what is preceding all things belief on the lord jesus christ first john 5 13 that you may know that you have eternal life because you have believed on the lord jesus christ starting off with a bang okay so uh grab your bibles turn with me to romans chapter 8 verse 1 and grab your tea grab your coffee we're going to be studying the word of god as you can tell this is probably one of my top favorite uh, topics to discuss when see the deity of jesus christ salvation by grace through faith and eternal security whenever i get around to one of these three i get really excited because it just it means so much to me seeing the the grace and favor and love of our lord as it's not left up to us it's not left up to us and i, I breathe a sigh of relief every time i come across these things come across uh, the passages on uh once saved always saved eternal security because i know my inability i know that there's literally no way there's no way i could possibly 
think that I, I could earn my salvation or maintain to keep my salvation or I could assist with my salvation anyway. I know that if it was left up to me, even for five minutes, I'd be damning myself to hell. I have no ability in myself. And that's why it's all the abilities of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And this is where he starts off uh, with uh, verse in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now we'll get to the last half of the verse in just a moment. But look at, look at what he's prefacing this with. Look what he's prefacing this with. No condemnation. There is no condemnation. This is a blanket statement. This is an in general blanket statement. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? This is born again. This is being born again. As Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, you must be born again. You're born of flesh. You're born of water. You must be born of spirit, born again. And as you were born physically, you had nothing to do with your physical birth. You have nothing to do with your spiritual birth. And it's belief alone. It's Jesus Christ is the one that, that brings forward our salvation, not us. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, born again by, by the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. And when we believe on the gospel, Ephesians 1, 13, we're indwelt by the spirit of God. We are in Christ Jesus. We are in our Lord. Our names are written in the book of life. So when we are in Christ Jesus, born again, saved, there is no condemnation. We cannot be condemned. You cannot lose your salvation. There is no danger to any form of damnation upon you. As Jesus says, you're held in my hand. No man can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. There is no sin greater than the hand of God. There is no sin mightier than the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you could possibly do that can undo the atonement of Jesus Christ that was imputed upon you. There's nothing greater than our Lord. There's no condemnation. Hell is not greater than Jesus Christ. Sin is not greater than Jesus Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We could end it right there. <laughs> we could end it right there. All God's saints are shouting amen. So now, as he goes on with a, with a kind of a... Uh, a clarification of this uh, as to what this is as we are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit now what does this mean those are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit well there's a couple applications here and the fir first being okay when before we're saved we're walking according to the flesh we are walking according to the flesh we're still in the condemnation of the flesh we're not saved. And then after we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are born again saved, we're walking according to the spirit of Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. We are walking with Jesus Christ in all things, right? That's what that's saying. Now, the other application here by Romans 8, 1, about those which are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but after the spirit. This is also calling for a differentiation between the wheat and the tares. For example, many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. 
that they say they're in Christ Jesus. They say they're saved. They say they believe in Jesus. They go to church, read their Bible, and they pray, and they sing the hymns, and they do all the stuff. And and outwardly, you, you'd swear they're saved. And then all of a sudden, at the great white throne, they're hearing their names not found written. Like, okay, so they're still in the flesh. So we see here a charge is brought forward of, of uh, making sure, to make sure, to examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you're in the Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you really? Because if you're depending on your works, you think, well, well, I haven't done anything bad. I'm a good person. There is none good. There is none good. No, not one. All are fallen away. All are become corrupt. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There's none that seek after God. So how could you say say you, you're good and you've done good if the Bible says, no, you haven't? There's only one that, that, that has done any good, and that is God, as Jesus is talking about himself. So are you depending on because you go to church, you do all the, all the things of religiosity? Uh, because you've, you've said a prayer. You said a prayer. Well, I said a prayer. No, it's not about saying a prayer. It's about believing on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone. It's understanding what he came for to save you from your sins. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see Jesus Christ on the cross, su suffering for our sins, shedding his blood, dying, buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures for our salvation. You understand why he came? Do you understand who he is? If you do not understand, then you are not saved, no matter how many times you've said a prayer if you do not understand jesus christ if you do not understand the gospel how can you know that you're saved if, if, you, if you're not understanding that he came for your sins to save you from the condemnation of your sins if you don't understand that how do you know you're saved if you don't believe that jesus is the christ the mighty god in the flesh then what makes you think you're saved so we see we got to understand the gospel we must understand there must be an understanding it's more than just a regurgitation of a prayer regurgitation uh, of some different uh doc doc doctrinal things we got to understand jesus christ in the gospel now there is therefore now no condemnation to them which in Christ Jesus. So when we believe on the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace, your faith, your belief alone, and your water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, your manifesting spiritual gifts has nothing to do with your salvation, and your, your tra traditions of religiosity have nothing to do with your salvation, your works and righteous works and law-keeping has nothing to do with your salvation. It's belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's what the Bible says. Now, when we do believe in the Jesus of Scripture. We do understand and believe in the gospel according to Scripture. We are in Christ Jesus, in his hand, literally in his hand, the hand of God. Now, have, have you guys ever played this game with little kids? It's really funny. You take a coin or whatever, you make sure to give it to them afterwards. But but you you take the coin or the toy or whatever it is, the candy, you put it in your hand and you make a fist and you say, if you could open my fist, you can have it. And you watch them prying and prying and prying and pulling and prying and freaking out because they can't open your fist. There's nothing they can do. Till finally, okay, okay, and you let them have it. 
Okay, imagine the hand of almighty sovereign Lord God of the universe. Who spoke and made all things. Who's infinite in knowledge and power and wisdom and ability and holiness and everything. Almighty, all sovereign, almighty Lord God. Holding us in his hand. And no men can pluck you out. Workspace salvationists, those who deny once saved, always saved, say, yes, you can open the hand of God. You can pry open the fingers of God. If you choose, if you if you do this, or if you don't do that, or this or that or the other thing, you can pry open the hand of God. You know how absurd that is? How absolutely absurd. They are literally saying that their own personal will is mightier than the hand of God. They are saying that their sins and inabilities or whatever is mightier than the hand of God. That's absolutely absurd of the highest order. There is therefore now no condemnation. You cannot condemn yourself. This, that's also including here. There's therefore now no condemnation. None. That means none of your own mind either. You cannot condemn yourself. Where we feel like, oh, why, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep messing up? Um, maybe I'm not saved. Or, or why can't I do what I need to do? You're condemning yourself. And technically you are lying to yourself. You are, you are speaking evil of yourself, degrading yourself because of your own inabilities when God says, no, there's no condemnation. Why are you condemning yourself? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit, uh, sorry, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So we see, according to this then, the law of the spirit of life of Christ Jesus, the law of life, the law of life, the law of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has dictated, has stated, saved, name found written, and this makes me free. I am freed from sin. I'm freed from death. I'm freed from condemnation. It's made me free from these things. From the law of sin and death. From the law of condemnation. So law of sin and death is another term, another way of saying condemnation. To be condemned. Has made me free from condemnation. For what the law could not do, as we see in Galatians 3, if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. For what the law could not do, it can't save you. The law cannot bring forth righteousness. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, because it is the condemnation of the flesh, it is that which exposes the sin of the flesh, that's the purpose of the law, to show what is righteousness and what is sin. And that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning he looked just like us. He looked like a normal human being. That if you saw him in the market, you wouldn't think a, a second thought. That he didn't look different really from anyone else. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. That 
that day has no form nor comeliness with which we would desire if he just blended into the crowd and the likeness of, of of human beings and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh as he paid the full penalty price of the condemnation of the of the law regarding sin because he be, he became quotation marks became sin for us he became the the sacrifice for sin he became that which the condemnation of sin was placed upon he paid the full price he did everything and paid paid everything so that we could be free verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us because as the law dictates uh, what is righteous and what is unrighteous and when the law reveals unrighteousness it calls for the for the the penalty for the price that there must be a sacrificial atonement to pay for this to cleanse away the sin that the righteousness may remain that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us because we have no righteousness we have no righteousness of our own so therefore how can righteousness then appear in us if we're corrupted by sin and we are condemned by our sins the law condemns us how can the law then bring forth righteousness in us there must be something that that cleansed away the sin that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us because i have no righteousness of my own so righteousness is literally imputed given by grace righteousness is given to me because i have none of my own that the uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit those of us who are in christ so when you believe on the lord jesus christ the righteousness of jesus christ is imputed upon you how by the spirit of christ that lives in the heart of every believer and jesus christ his he sends his own spirit to indwell within us and he becomes the righteousness in us he becomes our righteousness which is not our own but is his manifesting through us so the righteous works that you are doing are only because jesus christ is within you so literally everything goes back to him it's nothing of us it's all of him that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not, uh, not after the flesh but after the spirit for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh and we see this those that arts aren't born again saved as uh, i believe it was jc ryle that said if you have no conviction of sin you have no holy spirit within if you have no conviction of sin you have no holy spirit within and we see this with many people who who say they profess christ they believe in jesus christ but they have no conviction of sin the things they are they are doing watching saying uh, like, like like i've said before i i personally know individuals who say they love jesus christ they believe in jesus christ they profess that they're christians but they have absolutely no problem with using the name of Jesus Christ as a cuss word. That they, they blaspheme Jesus Christ, they blaspheme the name of God, and they don't even think twice about it. They run after all kinds of sin and immorality and pornographies and drunkenness and immorality and all kind of, and they swear that they're a Christian, but they have no conviction of sin. 
no conviction about blaspheming the name of Christ. But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, that they have conviction of flesh, that they serve the serve the law of flesh, and they don't care about the convictions of the Spirit. But how could that be? Because they have not the Spirit of Christ in them. Those are individuals who are going to be crying, Lord, Lord. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. For they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now those that are born again saved, and do have the Holy Spirit within us, that when we do sin, when we do make mistakes, the Spirit of Christ convicts us, He draws us, He teaches us, He instructs us. I did a video the other day there about uh, does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin? Yes, He does. And what is the, what is conviction? That's instruction of a truth, of whether the thing is right or wrong. Does the Spirit of God teach you what is right and wrong? Yes, 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 he does. Does the Spirit of Christ condemn us? No, absolutely not. He does not condemn us, but he does convict us. Now, for they that are of the Spirit will mind the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? That the things of the Spirit of Christ will be our priorities. That when we're doing something and it's wrong, and it's and we're, what we're doing is wrong, and it goes against the law of God, it goes against the things of the Spirit of God, He will convict us of this, instruct us how we're actually what we're doing is wrong, and we need to be doing this. And we will acknowledge that, and accept that we will turn from what we are doing is wrong and cling to that which is right. We mind the things of the spirit, but the unsaved mind the things of the flesh over the spirit. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death to the things of the flesh, the things that are carnal, worldly, fleshly, but to be carnally minded is death and leads to death and destruction in every way, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The very fact that you have conviction of sin and desire to seek after Christ is a proof of your salvation. Verse 7, for, uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, the enemy of God. Now, as we saw in Romans chapter 7, Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And chapter 7 is all about this battle between flesh and spirit and the, how the carnal wars against the spiritual. Our flesh wars against our spirits and we cannot do the things we would because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The, uh, the things of sin hates righteousness. The, uh, that which is of righteousness hates the things of flesh. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now look at this. Now this also throws a, a bit of a, 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 a wrench in the gears here for those who think that they can achieve sinlessness. Okay, those, those people who think that they can achieve sinlessness obviously have never read verse 7 because the carnal mind is enmity against god okay wait, wait, wait hold up hold up just one second back up who is writing this the apostle paul by inspiration of the spirit of god so god is literally telling paul paul pick up your pen write this 
and God is dictating to Paul, telling him, inspiring him in what to write. This is Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, born again, saved, servant of God, founder of churches, uh, worker of miracles and wonders, writer of the scriptures. Apostle Paul, who wrote about how he struggles with sin. All right, so are you, you saying you're holier than the Apostle Paul? You're better than the Apostle Paul? Because Apostle Paul struggled with sin. And Apostle Paul says, right here in verse 7 of chapter 7, sorry, chapter 8, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It cannot be subject to the law of God. What is Paul saying? You cannot stop sinning. While you are in the flesh, while you are still alive in your mortal bodies, in your carnal flesh, you are going to be struggling with sin until death. The flesh cannot be brought under subjection of the word of God, meaning you cannot stop the flesh from sinning. You cannot stop the flesh from opposing the righteousness of God. Your flesh will always be corrupted. You cannot achieve sinlessness. And we go back to chapter 7. And we see in chapter 7, in verse 17 now then it is no more i that do it but sin that dwelleth in me for i know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me the desire to do right is with me but how to perform that which is good i find not that there's no way to stop the flesh you can't stop the flesh you can't stop the flesh. And this is what the word of God brings in about the war against sin, striving for the mastery uh, of God in Christ Jesus, striving for the mastery of holiness in Jesus Christ, to, to walk in the spirit, not the flesh, to, to, to think in the spirit, not the flesh, to pray in the spirit, not the flesh, to, to work in the spirit, not the flesh. And we see this going on and on, how our flesh wars against our spirit and you cannot do the things you would. The, the, to be because the carnal mind is enmity against God and will oppose you when you want to pray, when you want to read the Bible, when you want to go to church, when you want to hand out tracts, when you want to oppose sin, when you want to turn, change the channel, turn off the film, or stop doing the thing, or not going to places that, that your flesh will be wanting to go after sin and inside you're screaming no. And there's this dual nature. Now, you notice here in verse 7, there's something here. The carnal mind, the carnal mind, carnal mind. Now in chapter 7, verse 25, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but the flesh of sin. Okay, well, well, wait a minute. I thought, thought he says the mind is after the law of God, but now he's saying that uh, the mind is carnal. There's two minds. There's that which is of flesh and that which is of spirit. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say how how every once in a while you have these battles in your mind where there's like a part of your mind that is arguing for the thing that is wrong 
And the other side of your mind is arguing against it, saying, no, that's wrong. Don't do that. It's like there's two people in your head screaming at each other. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, where at where times we've seen pulled, where uh, part of, I, I really want to go and do this. No, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But I really want to do it. But no, I don't want to do it. That's the flesh and the spirit. That's the will of flesh battling against the will of the spirit. That's the carnal mind versus the spiritual mind. That's what Paul is talking about here. Now, because some people think that because they have this carnal aspect, they must not be saved. Because, well, if I'm saved from sin, then why is this happening? You're saved from the condemnation of sin. You're saved from the condemnation of sin. You cannot achieve sinlessness. You're saved from the condemnation of sin. But while we are in the body, where I know that in me dwelt no good thing, because sin is in my flesh, and the carnal mind is enmity against God, I'm going to be battling my flesh until I go to be with the Lord. Paul is pointing this out because there are so many people who think that because they have this battle, because they do sin, because that, that they can't stop the carnal mind, which, which wars against them 24-7, 365, it won't stop, won't stop, won't stop, and I keep sinning, well, they, then they must not be saved. No, Paul's saying, no, you, there is no condemnation to you because you are in Jesus Christ. You are born again saved. You cannot lose your salvation. Even though you do sin, you're held in the hand of the Father because Jesus Christ, your advocate, your mediator, intercessor, who bleeds for you, he holds you despite you, and, and your sin cannot open the hand of God that's what Paul is saying here now look what he says in verse 8 so then they that are in the flesh they are not in Jesus Christ they are not born again saved so then they which are in the flesh cannot please God they cannot please God no matter what they do no matter how many times they go to church no matter how many times they pray and help the poor or whatever else they cannot please God because the only thing that pleases God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You could do all the traditions and charities and religiosities, all the things. You could do all the stuff until the cows come home and you'll never please God. God is not pleased with your works. He's pleased with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the only reason God would be pleased with, with works is if they're the righteous works of Jesus Christ being manifested through you because you are born again saved. Because he's pleased with his children, he's not pleased with religiosity. He's pleased with the righteousness of Jesus Christ which makes you his, his dear children. Verse 9, But ye are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, if so be that you are born again saved. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you are sealed the Holy Spirit of promise. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We see John chapter 3. Sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. There is now therefore no condemnation that which are in Christ Jesus. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned. One more time. He that believeth on him is not condemned. There is, there, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, he that believeth not, he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Belief saves you. Unbelief damns you. Do you see that? Belief saves you. Unbelief damns you. Works have nothing to do with it. Righteous works have nothing to do with it. Law keeping has nothing to do with it. Belief alone. Belief alone. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ of Scripture, according to Scripture, there's there now there's now therefore no condemnation on you. But if you have not believed on Jesus Christ according to Scripture, there is condemnation on you. So how can you know if you are born again saved? What does Scripture say? Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh, who came to save us from our sins. How? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. As he went to the cross as the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he, he suffered on the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, just like the word of God said, said he would, just like he said that he would. And he raised himself from the dead to show his power over death, power to give everlasting life. And he says, you believe on me. If you believe what I have done, you confess with your heart, the, confess with your mouth the belief of your heart, you'll be born again saved. By the riches of his grace, unmerited favor, by hope, believing trust, faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Titus 3.5 Not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but by the faith of Christ. Galatians 2.16 verse 9 but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of god dwell in you so how can you know if you are born again saved if the spirit of god is in you have you personally believed on the lord jesus christ have you personally called upon him have you made it personal it's more than just affirming certain specific doctrines and teachings. It's coming to Jesus Christ on a personal level. You call upon him personally. You introduce yourself personally. And you tell him that you believe. Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe who you are, who you said you are. I believe what you've done, what you, you've said you've done. I accept it. I believe it. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I believe. You tell him. You make it personal. Ask him to save you from your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. It is that simple. 
And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this, the, the Spirit of God comes in and dwells you, cleanses you, purges you clean, seals you unto the day of redemption, and you are born again, saved. Your name is written down in glory. The Spirit of God dwells in you, and there is now, therefore, no condemnation that can touch you. That's what the Scriptures say. Now, verse 9, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you do, if you have not personally believed on the biblical gospel, and I say biblical, because there are many different gospels out there, which is not another, but there are many that would pervert the gospel. As Galatians 1, 8 to 9, that if any man preach another gospel, they are accursed of God. There's only one way, one truth, one life. And that is believing on the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith to belief alone, period. That it's not of your works, not of your righteous works, not of your law keeping, not of, your, not of your religiosity, not of your churchianity, not of your church membership, and not because you've been dunked in water. You're saved by grace through faith by belief alone. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, verse 10, and if Christ be in you, Ephesians 3, 17, Spirit of Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. And if Christ be in you, the, the body is dead because of sin. What, is it, what does that mean? The language there, as before you were born again saved, you of flesh and spirit were dead in sin. Your spirit was dead in sin and you have no power no ability no goodness no righteousness no way to save yourself but when jesus christ came and he showed you and enlightened you and you believed on the gospel of jesus christ he quickened your spirit meaning quickened means to give life to give life to make alive again to give energy to he he made he quickened you in spirit he didn't quicken flesh, he quickened spirit. And your spirit is born again, saved, sealed in Christ. Your flesh is dead, and your flesh has no power over you. Your flesh cannot condemn you. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ quickens your spirit. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. When will our mortal bodies be quickened? In the resurrection, where we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And our body and spirit will be brought together, changed, and the twinkling of an eye will be brought before God as a new creature in the resurrection. Our bodies will be changed. That's why the Bible uses the language that the saints sleep. That when they sleep in Christ, that's because the body, it's, it's not that it's actually sleeping. It's dead, but it's awaiting the time, the moment of the resurrection. It's not going to stay dead. That we will be changed and be brought, brought to life. Because there is a life ever after. We will live in, in Christ forever. Our bodies will be changed. Our souls are with the Lord while our body's in the ground. The body is waiting the change, waiting the resurrection. He will also quicken our mortal bodies, our glorified bodies. That's right. Therefore, brethren, 
We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are debtors to the spirit, spirit of Christ. Debtors now indebted to follow as disciples of Jesus Christ. As we have, we, we have sworn ourselves to Christ, believed on Jesus Christ, we are then debtors to follow after Christ. Because not, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love him, because of what he did for us. We are debtors not to the flesh. We are not indebted to the flesh to do anything of the flesh. What the flesh wants is irrelevant. What the flesh feels is irrelevant. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. If you live after the flesh, no, the flesh wants its own self to justify itself through its own actions. The flesh wants to be justified of its own sin, its own actions. If you follow the flesh, you're following feelings and opinions, and there's no truth in it. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if but if ye through the Spirit... Now, notice, are, are, do you guys have your Bibles with you? Are you following along and looking at the words here? Do you notice that when he says spirit, as you go down through, since the beginning of the chapter, you'll notice that the word spirit is capitalized. Why? Why is the word spirit capitalized all through this chapter? Why do you think? Why is the word spirit capitalized? What's the significance? What does that mean? What does that imply? Because capitalizations are absolutely important. Well, all down through, you got verse 5, um, verse 9, verse 11, verse 10, verse, uh, verse 13. So all down through the chapter, we see the word spirit is capitalized. Now, it's the same as when we see the word God, the word God. We see a lowercase g and a capitalized g. We see a lowercase s and a capitalized s. That's right. That's right, Jacqueline. When you see capitalized s, that means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Lowercase s would be our personal spirit. So do you notice then the context of what we're talking about, about, uh, about the spirit that is now in us, that is justifying us, guiding us, helping us in all things, that which becomes our spirit is the spirit of Christ. The only reason our spirit is alive is because the spirit of Christ has come down and held it, grabbed a hold of it, has quickened it has given life to it. The only reason our spirits are alive is because the spirit of Christ is right here holding on to our spirit. And he says, I will never let you go. You are mine. So we see, we live after the spirit of Christ, not our spirit, not our will, but the will of Christ. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What it means to mortify the deeds of the body. What does that mean? Verse 13. But if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
But if ye through the Spirit, capital S, but if ye through the Spirit of Christ do mortify the deeds of the body, that, that mortify, this is where you hear mortician, one who works with the dead. So to mortify means to make dead, to make dead, to put to death. So to mortify, to put to death the things of the body, you shall live. No, how does that work? Well, what am I supposed to do? Kill myself? No, 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 no. But to treat your flesh like it's dead, that it has no power, no will, no say, no authority, nothing. No validation, no justification. Its feelings, its opinions, its senses, its desires, its lusts are completely, utterly irrelevant. It, it, it doesn't get a say. It doesn't even get a thought. You ignore, you ignore the flesh and you listen to the spirit. What the spirit of God says is the only thing that I listen to. His feelings, his opinions, his authority, his will, what he thinks, what he does. That's what I listen to. I do not listen to the flesh in any way, shape or form. To mortify, to put down, to uh, now the flesh, the carnal cannot be subjected to the law of God, nor can be, but you can fight against it. You can fight against it. You can resist it at every, every turn. That when you come to the table and the Lord is sitting there and he's telling you something and the flesh pipes up with its own saying, it's trying to interject, you tell it to shut up and you ignore it. And you listen to the Lord. Every time the flesh pipes up, you tell it to shut up and you ignore it. Every time the flesh pipes up with a feeling, with an opinion, well, I don't feel like God loves me. That's the flesh speaking. I feel like I'm not saved. That's the flesh speaking. Well, uh, that doesn't seem right. I, I think, I feel, I believe that's the flesh speaking. The flesh does not get a say. The feelings and opinions and the lusts and the desires of the flesh are absolutely irrelevant. It's like it's like a corpse is speaking. You're not going to listen to it. Don't listen to the corpse. Don't listen to the corpse of your flesh. It reminds me of a funny story. A good old, old family friend of ours, uh, he told, told us that uh, every morning when he gets up, every, every morning when he wakes up, the flesh, the body, just wants to lay there. Doesn't want to get up. Just wants to stay there. Doesn't want to do anything. But every morning he wakes up, he says, All right, carcass, it's time to get up. And he just gets up, even though he really, really doesn't want to. He gets up every morning at the same time, in the same way, because otherwise the flesh would just make him stay in bed. <laughs> it's what it is. It's an old carcass. And we don't listen to it. This corpse tries to get in the way of us serving the Lord. This corpse tries to deceive us. This corpse tries to deceive us. Lies to us. Tries to manipulate us. Now if ye through Christ, through the Spirit of Christ, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, this is different. This is a different language from being made alive like to live as in salvation this is different now some people right here works based salvationists will try to take verse 13 
and try to say, see, see, if you don't maintain the things of Christ, you're not saved. They say, see, see, because if you through Christ do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You will have salvation. No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What this is talking about now is those who are saved. Those that are saved. Now, to, to live in Christ, to, to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. Then every day you're doing your work. You're serving the Lord in all Christ-likeness and charity and ministries and, and, and uh, uh, preaching the gospel and Bible teaching and edifying the saints and strengthening the church. That's what it means there. That if you want to, to serve the Lord, to live in Christ, uh, in your ministry and serving the Lord, you need to put down the flesh. Because you're not able to serve the Lord while you're serving the flesh. You can't serve two masters. You have to pick one. That's what it's talking about. That verse 13 is not salvationary. Verse 13 is not salvationary. All right? So, but if you, through the Spirit, how could an unsaved person live through the Spirit of Christ? It doesn't work. They have to believe on the, on the gospel of Jesus Christ to be born again and saved. And then you live with Christ, live in Christ, serve the Lord. This is for, this is uh, 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 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God always and to be putting the Lord first in all things. Why would you not want to? Why would you not want to? So to live, to uh, live in Christ as we are in Christ, we live in Christ. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. All right. Now, I come to something very interesting here. A second, I'm going to just take a time a snippet. Okay, it's... All right, so 49.50. I just got to remember that. Sorry, just one second. I just got to take down a note. All right, so we see here something else very interesting. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. When we are in Christ, we are a new creature. Born again, saved, changed, made new. We are children of the Most High God. Children of the Most High God. Being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads His children. Just as the Spirit of God led His people through the wilderness. The Spirit of God leads His children through the wilderness of this world. We are led by the Spirit of God. We are the children of God. We are the chosen of God. Alright? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. We have been adopted. We haven't earned it. He has adopted us despite ourselves, adopted us into his family, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I want to point out something here. There are many people out there using a certain language where they're calling themselves slaves of Christ. That is incorrect. That is not right. That is unbiblical. We are not slaves. Nowhere throughout the word of God you go back and do the study in the original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. Nowhere does God call us slaves, and God does not condone slavery. He's always spoken against it. That people would take slaves 
against the will of God. God teaches servantry. Because servantry, there's a higher value, human life and respect in there. Slavery is dehumanization, where there, where there is no desire, no will, no ability, no say. But God says we are his children. We are his servants, not slaves. That the slavery of Christ is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Nowhere does God justify slavery. We are not slaves of Christ. We are children's servants. We serve the king. We are royal priests as he's our king. We are priests of the temple. We are living temples of the living God. John 15, 15. John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made unto you. So... We are friends of God. Friends of God. We serve the Lord. But even here, he, Jesus says, says he, he doesn't call us servants. He doesn't even call us servants, even though we do serve him. He calls us friends. He calls us brethren. He calls us his children, as he's our father. And we also see, verse 60, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are children of God. Galatians 4, 7. Galatians 4, 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs of the kingdom. We're not slaves. We are children of the Most High God. We call Abba Father. We serve the Lord, even though he doesn't call us servants, and it's servants, not slaves. Does that make sense? Hope that makes sense. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together to serve the Lord in all things for the glory of the kingdom of God, to the glory of the Father, to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. We're not slaves, we're servants. And even though he doesn't even call us servants, he calls us his children. We are joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? As, uh, as we go back to the prophecies of the Christ Messiah, uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders, meaning he, he inherits all things. He inherits all things. He is given all things. We are joint heirs as we too will inherit the kingdom. As his children, we inherit the kingdom from the Father. Even though he will never abdicate, he's, he reigns forever, sovereign forever, but we, but we come and we rule with him, under him, to serve him, to worship him, to be with him as his children. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. How can you lose your salvation? How can you lose the inheritance? How can you lose the inheritance? When do you when when does the Lord strip from you the inheritance of God? When does the Lord uh, pry open his own fingers and grab you and throw you back into hell? When does the Lord strip from you the blood of Jesus Christ? When does the Lord scratch out your name from the Lamb's book of life? Now I say that one specifically because there's actually two books. If you do a study in the book of uh, book of uh, Roman Revelations, 
Uh, we go do a study of the book of Revelations. You see, there's actually two books. There's the book of life, and then there's the Lamb's book of life. There are two different books. The book of life is those that are alive. The Lamb's book of life are those that have been born again. So you're born once, you're in the book of life, you're, you are alive, and then you must be born again. Spiritually, there's the spiritual book, the book of those that are alive spiritually, the Lamb's book of life. Those have been made alive by the Lamb. All right? So the Lord creates life in the womb and he, and he, he, he gives you life and he gives you a soul and you are alive. You're in the book of life. And then spiritually you're born again, spiritually in the Lamb's book of life. You can be blotted out of the book of life, but you can't be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Now, verse 17 and of children that heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we that that we may be also glorified together. To all to the singular glorifying of God. We are built together a spiritual house. We are built together a spiritual house. Verse 18 For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now look at the language of this one. Verse 18. Look at the language. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, the things that we go through, the trials and tribulations and troubles and all this stuff, the sufferings of this world, the suffering of the flesh. Because go back to what he was talking about, about dealing with the flesh and all things, that now we have to suffer with the, this flesh, this sinful flesh flesh for i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us that that the life to come is beyond understanding as the lord even says the half has not yet been told the things that are going to come that it's not even a comparison you cannot even compare the two what physical life to spiritual life it's not equal it's not even close. It's so far above us, so far beyond who has known the mind of the Lord. You can't even be, be compared. That this life is not even a blip on the screen of eternity. You look at a tombstone. You see the birth date, death date, dash in between. That's your life there. This is so, 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 so small and insignificant. I saw, I saw a picture once, a meme that, kind, that tried to bring a kind of an idea of this. Uh, this show, showed someone's finger where there, there was just a couple little grains of sand on the end of the finger. And it says, our physical life. And then it panned over to a picture of the Sahara Desert. Just miles and miles and miles and miles and miles stretching out to the horizon. Just a, a dune sea of sand. And it says eternity. As much as that picture tries to grab, to grab some of the understanding of this, of how insignificant our fleshly life is, that that still pales in comparison now if you could stretch that dune sea of sand to eternity that 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 would be that would be it but think about it sometimes our minds our reasonings uh, our intellect is so wrapped 
wrapped up in the mortal flesh and the carnal mind and the things of this world that we don't mind the things of the spirit we are not thinking about eternity we're not thinking about being with the lord that if we walked with our head in the clouds so to speak and we walked with our head in the clouds living like we're already there that the tri trials and tribulation the things of this world would fade away would be insignificant wouldn't even bother us anymore you wouldn't even care anymore because you'd be walking with the lord in the lord in all things the, the troubles of this world wouldn't even bother you but i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation verse 19 for the earnest expectation of the creature that's the flesh for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of god it waits longs to be changed longs to see and experience and be a part of that which is of god because god originally made our flesh sinless adam and eve in the garden of eden before the fall of sin there was no death there was no corruption there is no disease there is no pain there is no negativity. And then we see they chose of their own free will to disobey the Lord. And because of this, the curse of sin fell upon creation. And now the now creation is corrupted by sin. And the creature that was made by God originally, as, an, as supposed to be an eternal being, that we, we would live with the lord forever in the flesh that's what it was supposed to be now there's death and now this creature waits for the change waits for the manifestation of the sons of god for the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because of adam's transgression sin fell into the world but by reason of him who has subjected subjected us to sin because verse 20 because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god when in the resurrection verse 22 for we know that the whole creation groaneth all creation groans you know it just made me think uh, about the the roman catholic teaching that there are certain people who are sinless that there's a certain lineage of people here and there who are sinless and you can achieve sinlessness and that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sinless. And her family line were a special sinless lineage. Because for Jesus to be born sinless, his mother needed to be sinless. That's not how it works. And no, because it was a work of God, not of flesh. God did it, a new thing in the earth, a woman shall compass a man. The Lord brought it. The Lord did it. And the and the and the the sin of Adam was not uh, was not uh, brought upon because there was no earthly father. And also because the Bible says there's none righteous, no not one, there's none that doeth good, all are fallen away, all are become corrupt. And we hear all creation, the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now using the language of the of the uh uh, uh, uh travailing in pain that's regarding sin 
the language of sin groans and travails in pain that's that's the groanings of sin the travailings of sin so how how could there be any sinless the whole creation groans because of sin and waits for the glorious uh, changing of god waits for the resurrection so therefore how could you achieve sinlessness in this life how could you achieve sinlessness in this life you can't how can you become sinless before the resurrection you can't but we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now and not only they the unsaved but ourselves also the saved which have the first fruits of the spirit which is the salvation of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves that's that battling of, of flesh and spirit we talked about earlier groaning within ourselves waiting for the adoption waiting for for that change no wit the redemption of our body the redemption of our body Remember, we were talking about that for we are saved by hope that's faith believing faith now hebrews 11 1 faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you can't see it can't touch it can't affect it it's believing trust even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to it which is the redemption of our body the changing of our bodies we wait for the changing of our bodies where our bodies will no longer be corrupted by sin for we are saved by hope this is faith but hope that is seen is not hope faith faith which can be seen if you can see it if you can touch it if you can affect it it's not faith faith is is unseen believing trust we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth why doth he yet hope for why doth he yet hope for now if you could achieve sinlessness now then there's nothing to look forward to if you could achieve sinlessness now if you could conquer the flesh now and you could be free from the bondage of sin now and you could walk in sinlessness now then there's nothing to hope for there's nothing to look forward to you see that but if we hope for that we see not then do we with patience wait for it then we have true hope in christ we look forward to what christ is going to do and we look forward we don't pay attention to the now we are our minds are forward on what christ is going to do likewise verse 26 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities and because of this we have no power over the flesh we have no power over the flesh we cannot conquer the flesh like the spirit helps us in these things giving us victory giving uh, giving us strength giving us guidance and wisdom giving us forgiveness gi giving us strength and help and aid for the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we are I and mean, we don't even know how to pray right we don't even know how to pray right we don't know how to read right we don't even know what to do we don't know what we're supposed to do we don't know where we're supposed to go what we're supposed to do how, how we're how we're supposed to to speak and pray 
the Spirit teaches us. Just as Jesus spoke about in John 14, 15, and 16, that the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will teach you all things. He'll guide you in all things. He will, he will uh, give you the words with which to say in the very same hour. It cause you to be in remembrance of everything which I have told you. He will even teach you how to pray. He'll put the words and the ideas and the things in your mind of what you should say, who you should pray for. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. He gives us the very words with which to say. And now here we go with one part where many charismatic types misunderstand this. Maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, what does that mean? What does groanings which cannot be uttered mean? Charismatic types take that to mean speaking in the in the Flintstone babbling tongues. Nope, that's not that's talking about. You know when you you've messed up, you've done wrong, you're struggling with the flesh. You feel terrible, and you come before the Lord, and you just, I just don't know what to say anymore. I don't even know what to say anymore. I feel so terrible. Lord, why did I do that? Lord, why did, I don't even understand. And you don't even know how to pray. You feel terrible, and the, the groanings of sin are, are within us. Why, why did I struggle this? And the spirit of the lord will start to put words on our tongues will start to give us inspiration will cause us to remember his promises remember his forgiveness to remember it's about christ to remember his grace to remember his faith and all of these things will come up the, the lord will cause us to remember the promises of god and he'll help us to to understand how we are forgiven and how he holds us despite ourselves that's what that means and he helps us, yes, exactly, Nerland. He gives us strength and power and inspiration to cry out. To cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And what is the will of God that you would serve Christ, that you would walk in Christ in all things? And so this will of the Father, it wells up within us that we, that we would desire against our sin, that this groaning brings up a hatred of the sin, a hatred of the flesh, and a love of the Spirit, and a love of righteousness. Uh, just as the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 12, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity in the Lord, even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And the desires of the mind of the Spirit of God well up within us. And we fight against the flesh. And we hate sin. And we love righteousness. According to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them which are the called according to his purpose. Now we get into this. Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, his mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. That our minds are, are held by the hand of God, and are guided by the Spirit of God. That all things, no matter what it is, all things will work out. He will get, give us guidance and wisdom and experience and understanding. 
that, that even, even in sin, we learn the patience of the Spirit. We learn the goodness of God. We learn the faithfulness of Christ because He is faithful and we are not. We learn that even though in the weaknesses of our flesh, we see the strength of God. The strength of the hand of God, that God's hand wraps that much tighter around us. And that we start to feel the pressing of the fingers of God as he holds us when, when, we, when we struggle so much in sin. Because we see it's not us that holds, but him. All things work together for good that, to them that love God. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, it's a want to, not a have to. And we see something else here as well, as a proof of salvation, as a proof of salvation. Now, I don't want to get into the whole discussion thing of Calvinism, which is wrong anyways, but I just want to show something. Now, we see uh, at the end of verse 28, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What is the purpose of God? That all men everywhere would be saved. God calls all men everywhere to repent. God is not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. But God calls all men everywhere to repent. For God so loved the world that whosoever... Okay, I just want to emphasize that. Who are the called according to his purpose? The purpose of Christ. Who are the called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow now we see the foreknowledge of god that for billions trillions and zillions of years ago before there was anything before there was even time once upon a time there was a time when there was no time <laughs> that god saw knew knows everything god knows who is going to get saved, and he knows who is not. This does not mean he's not willing that these ones should go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want them to. God calls. Even though he knows who's going to get saved, he still calls and draws all. How does this work? I don't know. It just does. But there is not, there is not, there is not a limited atonement of Jesus Christ. God is not willing that any should perish. So, the, so therefore, the Calvinistic idea of hyper-election, okay, I want you to go to heaven, you can go burn in hell. I want you to go to heaven, you can go burn in hell. He doesn't do that. God does not have a special select chosen elect. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. All right? Look at this. For whom he did foreknow, those that he did see did know that these ones are going to be getting saved. He also did predestinate a previous determining that this is how it should be. What? To be conformed to the image of his son. He predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, Calvinists take this and they chop off the last bit of verse 29. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate. See, I've been predestinated to be saved. No. You are not elect of God before salvation, because that is literally saying you could not go to hell. That is saying you could not have gone to hell. Even when you are a child of the devil, lost in sin, dead in sin, an heir of hell, you are saying you could not have gone to hell. That's wrong doctrine. 
Now, look at what it says here, verse 29. Get your Bible, open it up, look at verse 29. He also did predestinate to be conformed. Who does God want to be conformed to the image of his Son? Only a special select chosen elect? Or does he want all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel and to be conformed to the image of his Son? God calls all men everywhere. Who, what, what, what was predestinated? Not me. The will of God that all would be conformed to the image of his son was predestinated. This was the plan, the desire, the will of God since before, before all things. God wants all to believe on him, to follow him, to serve him in everything. That the pre, that what what was predestinated was the desire of the will of God that all would be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be. Uh, so we go back. So for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we go to Ephesians two ten. Look at Ephesians two ten. Look at, look, look at this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What? The works. The works was predestinated. We are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what was predestinated? The will of God of the way of Christ. So we see this is what predestination is. This is what is predestined. Predestined is a, a predetermining of a thing by divine will. What did God will? What does God will? God wills, desires that all would follow Christ. If we go back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of Christ? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. To work the works of God. To believe on him whom he hath sent. Verse 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So what was predestined? Not individuals, but the way of Christ. The way of Christ was predestined. This is how we are saved. God, long before everything, made the way of salvation. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. The, con the conforming to the image of his Son. Verse 30, moreover whom he did predestinate, those that did believe and, and believed on Jesus Christ and walk in Christ, them he also called. Who, who does Jesus call? Who... Who does the Lord call to salvation? Are there any individuals that God does not call unto salvation? Is God, is God willing that some should perish? 
Is God willing that some should perish? No. God is not willing that any should perish. But God calls all men everywhere to repent. Now, those that believe on Jesus Christ, those who believe on Jesus Christ, are then elected to do the works of Christ. You're not elected before. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you're brought into the family. You are adopted into the family, and you're given a new name, and you're given a work. You're, you're elected to a work. You're not elected to a work before salvation. So who are those given to Christ? Those who believe on Jesus Christ. Those who listen and believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ become a part of the family, and those are the ones that are given to the Son. That's uh, part of your question there about uh, who, who are those that were given to him. Those who believe. Those who believe. Those who believe are elected to do the works. Those who believe are then, are, are then applied to that which is predestined by God. Of the way of righteousness. Whom he called, them he also justified. We're justified by faith. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Hebrews 6.1 Hebrews 6 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Hebrews 10 uh, 39. Hebrews 10 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We are of those that cannot go back. We cannot go back. We are not of them who draw back into, into perdition. We are not of those. It is, there is no way you can fall back. But when you are born again, saved in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, as we live by faith, walk by faith, we pray by faith, we believe by faith, we are not of those that can go back into perdition. But to them that believe to the saving of the soul. That believe to the saving of the soul. So, this, this path of righteousness, this way of salvation, all that, the, 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 uh, that is of the Lord's law and word and gospel, this, all, this whole work was predestined. This was the plan since the beginning. This is the way since the beginning. And that God presents this unto all. If you, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be a part of this. That's what this is about. Now, as we see here, in whom he justified them, he also glorified. Now, this glory is of Christ, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is, which is imputed upon us. Verse 31, what shall we say then to, those, to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? What can be against you if you're in Jesus Christ? Again, what can pry open the fingers of God? What can be against the hand of God? What can be against us? What can condemn us is what this is saying. John 10, 28 and 29. And, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish 
can't lose salvation. You can never go back. You cannot go back into perdition. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You cannot be plucked out of the hand of God. Now, you look at here where he says, because uh, according to the question here, uh, my Father which gave them me, who does the Father give, give the Son? Whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are those which are the chosen? Chosen to do what? See, this is the question. Chosen to do what? To follow after righteousness. To follow Christ in all things. To be a part of the kingdom. Who are those who are elect to do the works of Christ? Who are those that are adopted to inherit the kingdom of God? Those who believe the gospel. Did Judas Iscariot believe the gospel? No. No, he did not. He was not saved. He was still a child of the devil. He was still an heir of hell. He was still a son of the devil. He was not a son, he was not a, son a child of God. So you see... It's not about God saying, I want to save you. I'm not going to save you. I'm going to save you. I'm not going to save you. It's not none of that. It, it's whether or not the individuals have personally believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. Judas Iscariot did not. As the scriptures say, he was a thief, unrepentant. He, he got angry and hated Christ. He betrayed Christ. And we, we see we see him uh, uh, getting angry at the teachings of Christ and Jesus told him off about his uh, Judas's rebuking Mary about the alabaster box all other things he was unrepentant and he did not believe he was a uh, he was a son of condemnation he was still in his sins unsaved so he was not a part of that which is of Christ he was not one of those chosen to inherit the kingdom of God who are those that are chosen to inherit the kingdom of God those who believe on Jesus Christ when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you are taken and brought into the kingdom Judas was not many in that day will cry Lord Lord many people follow Christ many want to follow Christ but does following Christ save you? Does walking with Jesus, going to church, sitting in the pew, reading your Bible, praying, doing all the works, doing all the righteous works, does that save you? No. They have the desire to want to believe in God, to want to follow, follow Jesus, all this. The works don't save you. Walking with Jesus doesn't save you. You have to believe on the gospel yourself personally. Judas did not. Judas did not. All right, so uh, so we see verse uh, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against your salvation? What can be against your salvation? Now, see, the whole argument so far about the, how we've been saved, changed, made new, what the Lord has done for us, and this is the plan of God, how he holds us, helps us, guides us in all things, Verse 32, he, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see the extent of what God went through to save us. Is he just going to cast us away? Will he just let us go? How will he not give us freely all things of the kingdom as well? Verse 33, who, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
Who are the elect? Those that are born again saved. You're elected how, what, why, when, you're not elect before salvation. You're elected to do the works of Christ after salvation. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're elected to do the works of Christ. It is God that justifieth, not me. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God justifies. Not us. We don't justify ourselves. God justifies. It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? So then we take a look, then we back up for a second, we just shake our head, and we, we look at the whole situation about our, the sin of our flesh, the circumstances, the trials of the world, all these things surrounding us. We see everything here, and we see that we are born again, saved, held in the hand of the Father, children of the Most High God. Nothing can be against us. Who is he that condemns us then? If we cannot be condemned. Who is trying to condemn us? Who is trying to condemn us if we cannot be condemned? Sin, the flesh, world, and the devils. The enemies of our souls, the accuser of the brethren. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ intercedes for us. He's our advocate, our mediator. 1 John 2, 1. 1 Timothy 2, 5. And he's our advocate, our mediator, our intercessor. He fights for us. He holds us. We cannot be condemned. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. He makes intercession for us. He pleads for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Or we go into the wrath of God again. How could we possibly fall under the wrath of God again? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? As it is written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But fear not him which can kill the body. But fear him which can kill both body and soul in hell. We fear the Lord. We fear no power of flesh. We fear no power of the world. We fear no government. We fear no uh, devil of hell. We, we don't fear the flesh. We fear the Lord. We can be killed. We can be trodden under. We can be persecuted, stoned. We can be imprisoned. We can be mistreated and afflicted and oppressed in every way, shape, and form. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But verse 37, Nay, in all these things, these oppressions and persecutions, in all these things of flesh and hell and earth, of all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? How? Because we are born again, saved, and nothing can strip our salvation in Jesus Christ. We cannot lose our inheritance of the kingdom of God. We cannot be separated from the love of God. We cannot be plucked out of the hand of God. We are born again saved, uh, children of the Most High God, and dwelt with the Spirit of God, surrounded by a mountain of angels, heirs of heaven, and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us. Not even our own personal stupidity.
<laughs> as, as I like to say, my favorite line is uh, the Lord says, I will be with you always, even when you're stupid. So don't need to worry. Worry not, fear not, fret not. Be anxious for nothing. And all these things, these things of the world and of flesh and of sin, all these things of hell and the devil, all these things, we are more than conquerors because it has been conquered. It is defeated. You're listening to a carcass. You're listening to something that is dead when, when you're listening to the doubts and the fears. You don't listen to that which is dead. You don't listen to that which is of death. You listen to that which is of life. You only listen to Christ. And what does Christ say? I will never let you go. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. I am persuaded. That neither death. Nor life. Nor angels. Nor principalities. Nor powers. Nor things present. Nor things to come. That includes our future stupidities and sin. Nor things to come. Nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So tell me again, how can you lose your salvation? Romans chapter 8. So there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that study. Please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content. If you would like to, to hear some more arguments and Bible studies proving eternal security and once saved, always saved, we got an entire playlist dedicated to proving once saved, always saved, proving biblically eternal security. So please make sure you check out the playlist. It's called Once Saved, Always Saved. And so give that playlist a watch. And praise our Lord, praise our Lord for what he has done for us, what he has given to us, what he does for us, despite ourselves, despite our weaknesses. This is the plan of God since the beginning of all things, before, before anything began, when it was just him, just him alone in all eternity, just him alone. He, this was his plan, this is what he wanted to do, and this is what he gives to us. What can undo this? We can't, we certainly can't. As he saves us by grace, we are held by grace. We are saved by grace. We walk by faith, not by works. We walk and serve and pray and work in the power of the Spirit of Christ, not in our own, because we have no power. We have no abilities of our own. We have no righteousness of our own. There's nothing of ourselves that can earn favor with God. If we had a billion trillion years, you couldn't earn one micron of favor of God. It's all of the eternal favor of God given to us because we have His Son. Because we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because we believed on Him according to Scripture. We are born again, saved, changed, made new, and nothing can undo that. So give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And people say, well, you, well, if you're just saying that, you're just saying just believe in Jesus, go do whatever you want. No, show me a born-again Christian who does that. Because you are born again saved, you have the conviction of the Spirit of God who won't let you do that. And furthermore, when did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? 
He didn't. Or rather, what do you see? Conviction came upon him and he turned from that and returned back to where he was supposed to be. And that when you stray and you do something wrong, the Spirit of Christ within us convicts us of this and works on us to draw us back. Show me a born-again Christian and dwell by the Spirit of the living God where God just lets them go and do and say and be however they want for the rest of their life. Show me a, a single born-again Christian that does that. Doesn't happen. We're changed as servants of the Most High God who walk in righteousness, who walk in the kingdom of light, walk according to the power of His dear Son, we walk in, in all Christ-likeness in all things. And when we do err, we do stray, the Spirit of God convicts us and draws us and teaches us and helps us to understand, and He brings us back. This is what it's about. Born again. Changed. Not by our power, not by our will, but by the will of God who changes us, who saves us. Who looked beyond our faults and saw our need. So there you go. So that's Romans chapter 8. So I hope this has been a blessing to you as it was to me. I, I just, I, I, I can't put words to it how much I, I just love that these studies, how much it just thrills my heart to see the power of Jesus Christ. We see... Uh, the grace of God in all things. That it's by grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. Grace. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's not a reward. But he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. And because it's by grace, he holds us by grace. He holds us by grace. What makes you think the grace ends once you're born again saved? See, that's the that's the logic of the works-based salvation is you think you could lose it. They think that you're saved by grace, but then the grace ends at the moment of salvation. Now you have to maintain favor. Since when? It doesn't work. It's not even a thing. So, we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we're held by grace for all eternity. So there you go. So I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. And just seeing if there's anything else here, any other comments, uh, questions I missed. Uh, okay. So the question here regarding Judas Iscariot, I just want to go over this just one more time here for, for clarification as this was a topic that came up because Judas was, was one of the disciples of Jesus. Can an individual walk as a disciple of Jesus and not be saved? Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord, have we not done, have we not done, have we not done? And they walk and work like a disciple of Jesus, but they're actually not one of his. Jesus says, but I never knew you. Even though they walked in the name of Jesus, preached in the name of Jesus, worked in the name of Jesus, cast out devils in the name of Jesus, but he doesn't know them. All right, so if I can find my thing here regarding Judas Iscariot. One second. There it is. Okay. So the question regarding Judas Iscariot, how does this work? So looking into this, I did a bit of a study here. We see Jesus said, for example, it were better for him had he never been born. Would Jesus say that? regarding someone who is saved would jesus say regarding someone who is saved it were better that they were never born no 
Now the Bible says, as Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. That means son of condemnation. That condemnation was upon him. But there's now therefore no condemnation then return Christ Jesus. But condemnation was upon Judas. It said, according to the scripture, it says Satan entered him. He became personally, demonically possessed by Lucifer himself. However, according to the scriptures, we see that born-again Christians cannot be demonically possessed. And we see in the early church, when they were looking for one to fill Judas's place in Acts 1, 24-26, they're talking about Judas, says Judas, by, by which transgression fell, that he might go unto his own place. Going to his own place. Denoting his place in damnation because he did not go to rest in Christ as he was apart from God and the truth. Also, according to scripture, we see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Commit. The word commit in the Koine Greek of 1 John 3, 9 means to live in sin unrepentant of. Can a born-again Christian sin? Yes. Will you be living in sin unrepentant? No. You will have repentance. You will have conviction. You, you, you will hate sin. But Judas had no repentance he had no repentance so it means to live in sin unrepentant of no desire to leave the sin judas as the bible says was a thief he wore the bag he wished mary had not broken the alabaster box because he wanted the money he was a thief unrepentant even jesus knew he was a thief and, he, and Judas committed thievery unrepentant. No thief will enter the kingdom of God. He was a thief. He was a betrayer. He aided in the death of Christ. He lied and manipulated, betrayed, deceived. He was a murderer in his heart towards Christ. And due to his guilt, he killed himself. His sorrow was not a godly sorrow to repentance, but was like that of Esau, which God hated. Just sorrow for trouble, but not for conviction of sin. There's no desire of seeking to repent from his ungodliness. And Jesus uh, and Jesus in John 17 says that Judas was lost, calling him the son of perdition. So Judas Iscariot was not saved. He cursed himself by his own choice of living in sin, so close to Christ, listening to Jesus while he taught, hearing sermons on repentance and salvation, and still choosing to keep his old life. And by his own stubbornness and rebellion, he cursed himself to hell. So just like in Matthew 7, many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord, we've done and done and done and done. But he says, I don't know you. So can there be many seemingly disciples of Jesus Christ who are not actually born again saved? Yes. Judas is one of them. There you go. And Judas was a willing participant in what needed to be done. Was God not willing uh, to save Judas? Did God select Judas say, okay, I, Judas, I refuse to save you. I'm not going to save you. Uh, I'm going to damn you to hell. And because of that, I'm going to use you like a puppet. No, 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 no. Judas was a willing participant. God is not willing that any should perish. For God to be not willing that any should perish, that then means, therefore, the way must be open 
unto all that anyone could be born again saved that god offers salvation to anyone including judas including judas he's not willing that any should perish if there are some that cannot be saved then god is willing that some should perish so you see that even by one verse some people try to change that modify that by adding words to that by rewriting the scripture god is not willing that any of the elect should perish no 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 you're literally adding words to the bible and you're changing the very context if you look at the word world in the bible what does the word world mean it's not a, it's not a word that is that is denoted to a limited people group but it's an open general term for everyone on planet earth all people what you're doing is you're literally rewriting the definitions of the words of the bible when the words of the bible are an all-inclusive and god so loved the world not a special select group but world the very words he's not willing that any should perish the word any means all everyone so you look at the very meaning and the definitions of the words so there you go Hope that answers that one regarding Judas and all of that. And I hope this study's been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. Give us a like as a thumbs up if you enjoy these. And thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky.